But here, on the very rim of known space, justice is a long way away. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian, and joining me, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. Actually, we should rename this particular show to the Obliterator Pod. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, son of a bitch. That's good. That's good. I didn't even think of that. Obliterator Pod episode one. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, shit. Actually, though, this would be technically episode three, since this is your third uh, appearance on, I think it's your third appearance on the show, Trevor. Uh, also joining us is your co-host, uh, Julie. Hello from the great sunny warm north. Oh, good. Hope it stay. Oh, what's my cat doing? What are you doing, Matilda? Uh, also joining us is your co-host back from uh, wherever he was, Thorsten. Oh my God, we're so happy that your internet is back, dude. Oh my God. <laughs> Hello again, and I'm happy to back to be uh, back here too. Us too. Oh my God. Uh, your co-host Jacob. Torpedoes not loaded. <laughs> <laughs> and your co-host David yo 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 friends joining us as I said for the third time uh, remind me Trevor where are you in Hawaii I don't remember specifically I'm at uh, Eva Beach which is just to the west of Pearl Harbor Oh, on okay. Oahu okay. joining us from uh, near Pearl Harbor Oahu <laughs> obliterator pod <laughs> Maybe we should start a pod about this, the Starfleet game. <laughs> called Obliterator Pod. That was, Spaz, that was a terrific and terrible idea. Uh, thank you, Trevor Sorensen, the creator of the Starfleet games, to talk to us about the, thank God, recently released, as of two days ago as we record this, Starfleet 2, Krellin Commander 2.0. It's finally out, you guys. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's finally... <laughs> It's out. It's finally out. We did it. We we all did it. Oh my god. It was such an effort. I have never been involved in a game launch before. This is my first time. I'm exhausted. <laughs> but uh what a journey. What a journey, which is what I want to talk about today. Uh so folks, if you're unaware, well, Trevor, how would you describe Starfleet 2? Since it's your baby. How would you describe it? A work of a lifetime. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Very fair. No, it, it it is. Um, I, I wrote Starfleet One based on existing Starfleet games that were on mainframe computers, and uh, it was uh, originally start uh, planned to be a Star Trek game uh, because that's what all those original games were, and I. Uh, contacted. Um, this is when I was with uh, our company was called Cygnus. And contacted Paramount Pictures to get the the license for it, and they said no. Someone else already had the license, and so I said, well, uh, if we change the the universe and the story and and some of the the things about it, uh, is it okay to do it? And they said yes. And I said, uh, and we're we're going to to planning on using these terms. And I mentioned Starfleet and photon torpedoes and stuff and they said yeah that's fine and uh so we made up a friend of mine who's a board game designer richard launius came up with the backstory and the history and everything and uh of the uh Krellans and the zaldrons 
And uh, so that uh, I'd been working on that Starfleet game since grad school. Uh, when we formed Cygnus, we published it, Starfleet One. Uh, it, it was uh, reasonably popular. We sold a few thousand. Then Electronic Arts said, hey, we like this. We want you to become an affiliated label. So we started selling tens of thousands uh, of it. And Starfleet 1 was a fun little game, but I was thinking about it doesn't really have everything that I want to do in a game like this. And so I started designing Starfleet 2, and I thought, well... You know, I, instead of just zooming from quadrant to quadrant like you do in Starfleet 1, I wanted to have a, a more realistic where you have a display where your ship's in the center and things move around it and you actually move from a star system to star system instead of having several stars in a single quadrant and that. And so what I basically did was I designed a game that I really wanted or wanted to play and put in uh, as many of the features as I could cram into the 640K RAM uh, machines of the time. And one of my good friends at uh, NASA, Mark Baldwin, who had uh, done a couple of the versions, I think the Atari 8-bit and... Uh, version of Starfleet 1. Uh, he, I designed the uh, planetary invasion module and also the boarding module, and then he programmed them, implemented them, and uh, which helped a lot because I, I didn't have time to do those myself. So that that's pretty much how it came, but it was much more complex than I realized, and it took a couple years longer to develop than I thought it would, which is why Electronic Arts was getting real upset with me, and they more or less forced us to, to rush out version one uh, a few months before it should have been out. Yeah, that's and that's why we, that's one of the reasons we kept, uh, we didn't like put a date on this one for a while because we're like, we don't want to rush this and have a repeat of the first one. <laughs> and, and another problem is that you kept coming up with great ideas to improve it. So I had to keep putting those in. It wasn't I just mean, me. If, if a, <laughs> no, it wasn't just you, but but it was a lot of it was you because I you were streaming it. I watched the streams and you would mention something. Oh, it'd be really good if it could do this. And so I'd take note of it and put it in the program. And every and sometimes you said, Trevor, could could you do this? And so of course, nearly every time I, I did it, and that pushed the, the launch date back. But I, you know, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad that it's out now with everything in it that that we really wanted, yeah. instead of coming out a year ago in with not as much. Yeah, considering how much you've added over the past year, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> unquestionably. Like, like just yeah. like the two big things I think that were added were um, fleet command. And um, the upgraded probes, and those alone are game changers. My God, <laughs> upgraded probes! Yeah, I might, not, I might have not gotten to those. That or I missed them. Oh, once you uh, once you reach, um, we'll explain how the game works, folks. If you haven't gotten there yet, but the game has seven ranks. I'll just throw this out there right now. The game has seven ranks, and when you reach the rank of prefect, which is the fifth rank, yes, the fifth rank. 
um, you're able to purchase if you have enough money an upgraded battle cruiser, which includes. And, and by the way, that's game money, not yeah, real money. Game money. Yeah, yes. No, yeah, yeah. The fact that we have what? to clarify this. Yeah, that's true. No in-app purchases. It's a DOS game from 1989. I don't even know if they even thought about that back in 1989. Um, so sort of probably, <laughs> but they didn't know how to implement it. That's a that's a very good that's a very good uh, that's a very good clarification, guys. Thank you. Uh, once you have enough in-game money, let's be clear. Uh, you can purchase an upgraded battle cruiser, which has better armor, more crew, more uh, troops to board ships, and upgraded probes, which are which do so much more than the regular probes you get in the beginning. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> and the and this encourages you, from what I can gather, to actually explore and settle down planets and yes. look for bases and hunt down merchant ships and yoink them back to base instead of just going back uh, instead of just going back to base the the micro second you finish the mission like <sighs> you sort of kind of were that was kind of the optimum beforehand. Yeah, uh, Trevor, are we gonna say something? Yeah, I was just saying that in uh, the original version 1 up to through 1.5b, which was the last one that was released, uh, the number of Krells was just for your own personal satisfaction. And if you were playing with other players on that particular game, it has a list of the fleet. And so you could just compare the total number of Krells you've earned with others. But that was it. There was no real benefit or or of having more krells and by the way that's the the money unit is a krell yeah. in the the program and uh and i i thought that and i'd seen other games where you can go and buy upgrades you know new weapons or new engines or things like that and i thought well that would be a, a really good aspect to add to this and it would give you uh, a reason to to really maximize the number of krells, and there are lots of really fun ways to maximize the the krells, and and <laughs> also not not be too wanton in your destruction of planets and cities because that decreases the number of krells. So I uh, so I went ahead and and added the upgraded cruiser where you could battle cruiser where you could give it your the uh, you could name it yourself and it get as Brian said you get all of these additional uh, features to it, and the one that that I um, really worked hard in design and developing were the upgraded probes. Because if you look at the original uh, probes box where you launch the probes, it it had something like uh, distance and rotation or something, because they were originally meant to be placed at a certain distance from the sun and then do a rotation around, sort of like a search pattern, but that was never implemented. And I and so I thought uh, that uh, I should upgrade the probes. You should be able to can have more than five at once, and, and in operations, you can control 12 at once. And I had already put in where uh, destroyers could go visit planets and scan them, so I just put the same logic in for probes. So you can probe can go from planet to planet in a remote system somewhere and go into orbit, scan the planet, and send you information on it. 
And if it happens to be an enemy planet, that's probably the end of the probe's journey because it'll be destroyed. <laughs> yeah. uh, but they also have a passive mode, which makes them almost impossible to detect. They just sit in the, the system passively, which is the way it is with the standard probes. And they will report on the comings and goings of enemy ships into that system. Uh, so it, it was a lot of fun to to think of all the the things to uh, add for the up up enhance the upgraded probes and the, the uh, interface for them the to how to best show it. Yeah, you wouldn't think uh, a battle like a space battle cruiser war game would have so much exploration, but this game does have a wonderful amount of exploration and probes are a big part of that um, because every mission you have to seek out uh, something. You're basically seeking out something, whether it's a specific type of planet or a specific type of enemy ship or eventually just everybody. Uh, <laughs> uh, you have to find them. And that's one of the joys for me of this game, at least is the, is the finding them. Uh, exploration now never stops being useful, which is great. One one thing I want to add about the probes, the upgraded probes, after I had uh, developed them and realized how wonderful they were, I, I thought about the possibility of just making that the, the new probes for the, the whole game, all the ranks, but I wanted to keep something special for the upgraded battlecruiser. I mean, it, it's... Uh, uh, you feel like you're really getting your money's worth once you get these new upgraded probes. And oh so that's God. why I just left the standard probes for the lower levels. And and I think the standard probes are better for newer players. They're a little less complex. Uh, you know, there aren't all the modes and everything. Like people I'm talking, like I, I was talking to someone on a forum earlier and they were reading the manual about upgrade probes and they're like, this might be too much for me. I'm like, yeah, you say that now. But eventually, you will, you will be uh, conducting those probes like an orchestra. You go here, and you go here, and you go here. And, uh, yeah. I mean, that's part of the joy of this game is the learning. So, yeah, something might seem daunting at first, but once you get to it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is great. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that because, folks, if you're unaware... Uh, this is a complex game. There are a lot of moving parts. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a serious simulation and war game basically and the game has a rank system so there are 35 missions spread across seven ranks each rank has five missions and each mission has a specific goal in mind uh, how did you come up with the I I've always been interested how you came up with the rank system because it's such a I'm going to use the word I'm sorry elegant way of I think at least onboarding a player to to slowly onboarding a player to how complex this game can become uh, over time. That was inherited from Starfleet one Starfleet one had uh, a rank system as well. And I just mm. um, thought that that was a way to not overwhelm a player, but sort of, gradually bring them into and, and learn things and then uh, then I can add another level of complexity uh, and also I mean I wrote the rationale for this back in Starfleet 1 days so or actually it goes back prior to Starfleet 1 to the original uh, Fortran program Starfleet that was on the deck computers uh, I, I described why I had this ranking system but it, it also gives you some 
uh, sense of achievement as you work your way up. And and that that's for like the long term and for the short term, uh, I added in the awards, the medals and things like that, which gave, gives you for individual missions, gives you a sense of, of reward. I, I know um, in uh, recent games, like I know the Starfleet Deluxe for Android had accomplishments you could earn and you could have a whole string of these accomplishments. So I guess... That's a a thing that's uh, used now, but but I think I, uh, my game Starfleet was one of the first ones that uh, awarded medals and and had the uh, the ranking structure for going through it because I know the original Starfleet games did not have that. In fact, wasn't the original Starfleet kind of just it? Wasn't there this uh, like one? The sort of ASCII-based Star Trek game that was just you flying around one ship blowing up Klingons. Wasn't it kind of similar to that one? Yeah, and, and that's a basic premise for Starfleet 1. I just added a bunch of enhancements, but it's the same basic play, uh, play system. You have 10 by 10 quadrants on some ver- versions. It was 8 by 8 quadrants, and in each quadrant there were either 10 by 10 or 8 by 8 sectors. And you just had one ship, and you just fought against Klingons, and uh, and went zooming from quadrant to quadrant. There were star bases where you could resupply, and uh, uh, stars which were sort of like you know that you could hide behind, but that was the only thing they they would use for. Actually, uh, the enemy could could hide behind them. But I added a lot of features like being able to board and capture uh enemy ships and uh tractor beam and and uh, a number of things that i added in that went into starfleet 1 that weren't in the uh in the original star trek games you know uh i wanted to ask and i just wanted to point out that not all of us were here for the first two interviews and in doing a little (laughs) research on you i mean it's like while you're the designer of this game it's also dr Sorensen, doctorate of engineering lunar manager for mission manager for nasa nasa medal of exceptional scientific achievement and currently according to what i see is project manager in the hawaii space flight laboratory i mean it's like to me it's like how does someone go from this really accomplished scientist to like a game designer you know i mean obviously it's I, i got a friend who's a game designer that started out as an ichthyologist so but I was just curious, you know, I'm seeing your background and, and there's obviously a big story there because um, I was playing the game before the show and uh, David said, well, he really is a rocket scientist. <laughs> well, Julie, uh, that that's what what really came out. I mean, um, back when I was in high school, there there were two avenues of uh, three major, well, let's say four major, I'm starting to sound like Monty Python, of the many avenues of interest that I had. (laughs) Okay, one was was surfing. I used to go board riding. Uh, Another was I was in a rock group. I I played keyboards in a rock group in high school. Uh, Third one was that I started a rocket club 
building steel rockets with their own propellant and launching them and that. And I've actually, you, that's obtainable online in my memoirs, uh, the story of that. And the, the fourth one was uh, wargaming. And I started that actually when I was in primary school and then into high school. We built a, a big 8 by 8 board with plaster of Paris terrain. My friends handcrafted, this was HO scale, 72nd scale, uh, handcrafted buildings out of balsa wood. This was a World War II Bavarian type battle. We hand painted all the 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 uh, figures and the tanks and everything like that. So I was really into miniature wargaming. And when I moved to the U.S. and started university, my parents had also moved at the same time to South Carolina. And in the summers, uh, we I built other boards and introduced my friends to both wargaming and rocketry. And one of those friends who was uh, still in high school when I, I started college later became the chief historian of NASA and uh, uh, is a very prolific author in the history, in uh, space history area. Uh, but anyway, so I had these two interests in wargaming, also rocketry and that. And when um, I was in grad school, which was in the, the late 70s, I saw somebody playing the Star Trek game on a monitor. They were, they were remote from a large Honeywell, the mainframe computer. And this was like written in Fortran or something. And, and, I, and I saw it and I found out how to log in and, and play it myself. And it was so much fun. I thought, oh, this is, this is really cool. And I tried to get in touch, find who the authors were, and I couldn't. I think it came from MIT originally, but uh, so I I got hold of a HP 9830 with 8K RAM and a, a thermal oh, uh, wow. printer. Oh wow! And uh, <laughs> and a two line LED display, 32 character LED display, and I decided I thought, well, that I, I'd like to try and and mimic that. So I. Um, and and the only language it would take was basic so in basic i wrote a game i called starfleet battles and uh which was based on this this type of star trek quadrant sector type thing except you didn't see it happen on a display it printed every update oh, out no. on thermal paper what? oh gee. oh my god <laughs> wow and and so Something and so I'd get rolls of this paper as it played the game because it would be like a teletype printing out every line of the screen, every update, and uh, and then when I um, went to NASA Ames to work on my doctorate, I uh, in my spare time I converted that to Fortran because I had access to a deck computer. I converted it to Fortran and uh, wrote, it greatly expanded it into a game called Starfleet, which was actually distributed worldwide through the Deck Users Group. And uh, then when I went to NASA Johnson Space Center, I got several of my fellow engineers interested in it, and they were all playing this on the... And, and we could link up with uh, my friends back at NASA Ames, and so we we're uh, playing this 
game. And when the IBM PC came out, I said, at last, there's a computer powerful enough to have this game. So that's when we uh, formed a a company, um, limited partnership called Cygnus, with uh, seven partners. Two of them were from uh, NASA Ames, and the rest were from NASA Johnson Space Center. And one of them later became an astronaut. But uh, uh, that... purpose that we had for forming the company was to build a space shuttle simulator game and uh but we had to start that from scratch and i said well i already have this starfleet game written we could just uh convert it over and and get some, some money from selling that so that became starfleet one um uh, which had to be converted back to basic because the fortran compiler uh, initially on the PC was a hog and, and you know, was no good. So we had to convert it back to first interpretive basic. And then later we were so thrilled that they had a basic compiler. So that's, that's sort of, I know that was a lengthy answer, Julie, but that's sort no, of. No, no, no. See, in reading through your bio here is incredibly interesting. You know, it mentions like, uh, a hostile takeover of the Interstellar Corporation <laughs> forcing you to sell your shares. And I just want to say why I'm an avid gamer. I am also an, have an avid interest in in space and in, in NASA. And even though, you know, your game is incredibly interesting, your background at NASA just impresses the hell out of me. And if you still work at the uh, Hawaii... Flight Space Flight Laboratory. I want to come and visit. Yeah, we're we're actually uh, we launched we built a satellite uh, that was launched from the ISS space station in November 2020 and lasted about a year and a half before it re-ended. And we have a a satellite that's twice as large, which is still a small satellite that we are delivering down to the Johnson Space Center uh next month the beginning of next month and it's then going to go to florida and be launched up to the iss next march and will be deployed from there it has a hyperspectral thermal imager that was uh developed at the university and i for that particular one i i am the operations manager uh working out the uh uh, developing the operations for the satellite and we're sort of testing those operations right now i also teach several classes and i have a uh, uh another spin-off company intercell technologies and we have a uh two-year nasa contract to develop the management of a swarm of satellites and uh and we also uh, the U.S. Army is also interested in that that technology, uh, so we're we're trying to arrange for some more funding to follow through on that. See, and now I know I've sidetracked it from the game, but I'd like to research. Totally everybody. fine. Don't worry about and, it. And <laughs> and I read through this, and this is the point at which I feel obligated to paraphrase Wayne's world and say I'm not worthy uh, <laughs> because of your career at NASA. Holy mackerel. I just color me impressed and thanks for letting us know for those of us who weren't here for the first two interviews. Well, I, I um, 
Early on, uh, you know, it's funny, when I was in high school, we did a vocational guidance test, and I, I scored really high on it, and they, they said, what would you like to be? And I said, a space engineer. This is when I was about 15 or so. And they said, well, there's not much opportunity for that in Australia, but would you? we think you might be a good meteorologist. <laughs> and so... <laughs> So uh, when I finished high school, I had an opportunity to come to the States and study aerospace engineering. And initially, I, I, my first job was in, uh, as an aircraft structural engineer, but uh, I got laid off from that job in Dayton, Ohio, and went back to grad school. And ever since then, I've been 100% space engineer and, and just, just loving it. Well, you know, when I tried to look you up the first time, I said, Dr. Trevor C. Sorensen, NASA, do I have the right person? <laughs> and I started to read this, and then I get to the bottom, and it says, oh, also gaming. And I said, holy mackerel. Well, anyway, I'm, and it's just when it comes to, to a NASA, I just... I'm I'm easily impressed, I guess, but this is just your, your career at NASA has been amazing. Well, the the interesting thing is, I I was a lunar mission manager, and that NASA medal that I got that you mentioned, that was when I was working uh, for the Department of Defense, not NASA, uh, because the Clementine mission, the lunar mission, was a DoD mission, and they and they brought a NASA science team on board to gather to. Uh, uh, use the uh, data that the uh, spacecraft got while it was in orbit of the moon. And I was the uh, the lunar mission manager in charge of the operations around the moon, and I worked very closely with the science team. And uh, it was the science team that nominated me uh, for that particular medal and, and a few others. And so that's why, even though I was a, a contractor to the Department of Defense at the time, I still got a NASA medal, which is a little unusual. You might be the only podcast guest we've had that has a medal. I don't. I can't think of another one. <laughs> I, I I got another one last year from the uh, uh, International Space Ops Organization. I got the Distinguished Service Medal. So. Wow. You know, you know, I had a friend at work for the Department of Defense, and I said, well, surely you can tell me about your – she said, I had to sign something that carries through till 50 years after I die. So I feel at this point, aside from the game, I should get your autograph <laughs> on a picture just for the NASA thing. <laughs> I, I did – when I was working for the space shuttle, uh, on the space shuttle as a guidance and control engineer, then a assistant flight director on the space shuttle, and then then a software manager. Um, and But while I was working on that, they asked me, they wanted me to get a secret clearance to work the DOD flights. And so I uh, was naturalized, uh, became a U.S. citizen, and got a, a, a secret clearance in 1984. And I held the secret clearance until 2001 when I went and, and joined the faculty at the University of Kansas. Well, hey, we got something in common. I was in the military, and I had a secret clearance, only because <laughs> I had access to codes. But uh, at this point, I'll just say, well, I'm sorry, but not sorry for turning this into the NASA show. Uh, and no, <laughs> it's, 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 gr it's great because <clears throat> I think uh, 
I honestly think Trevor's experience at NASA has helped and, and in rocket science, rocket science that the right word uh, has made help make rocket Starfleet science, rocket science, rocket science, rocket. I think I was trying to say rocketry science. Um, I think that's helped make Starfleet to a better game overall. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, some of the, the things in Starfleet two uh, and Starfleet one, actually I got from the shuttle program, like the uh, master caution alarm in the in the space shuttle orbiter use the uh, the same tones and sequence that I use for the master alert or alarm in my games for instance. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> well, I just a couple of things and then I'll leave you alone about this. The first off is when David told me that you really are a rocket scientist, I thought to myself, "Oh, come on." Then I looked up your bio and I said, "Holy mackerel, he really is a rocket scientist." Uh, but beyond that, and I know it's probably well beyond any abilities might have, is there any way to mod this to put back in instead of Krellians, the Klingons just for myself <laughs> um i in uh, actually in the 1990s um uh, early 1990s i i had a legal battle with a former colleague um back who was back in houston and i was living in the washington dc area at the time and it it um uh, they had copyrighted my design, my notebook in which I planned the Starfleet series. They had copyrighted it under their name. And so, uh, anyway, we had a battle about that. Unfortunately, my wife was working as a paralegal for the largest patent and copyright firm in Washington, D.C., and we got them on our side, and they just blew the Houston lawyer and this other guy out of the water. They were trying to stop Star Legions from being uh, from being uh, sold, and uh, and because they said so they you, owned the rights so you to it. The legal equivalent of calling in the Americans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I brought in the big guns and and uh, like the battleship to blow. <laughs> Out there, uh, well, uh, their rowboat. Well, so. Jacob, that's yeah, the what legal we, equivalent. Jacob, the that's legal what equivalent we do. Of the USS Iowa. That's what we do, Jacob. We come in and we save y'all. I mean, that's what America does. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Beautiful but, uh, explosive uh, freedom. <laughs> anyway, so so what happened is uh, once we had won that battle, and that originally Star Legions was going to be called Legions of Krella. But because they said you can't use the word Corella or Crellum because we own the rights to it. And so we, mm. uh, so while we were resolving this, I changed the name to Star Legions, and I liked that better, so we just kept it. Uh, but if you read the, the box on, on Star Legion, it doesn't mention Crellum or anything like that on it because it was put together at this time before we had won the battle. But uh, while we were at it, the uh, the attorney said, "Well, you know, you probably should go ahead and register the the trademark for the name Starfleet Two Crown Commander." So we uh, applied to register the the trade that is a trademark, 
and then once it's entered, it's put out in the the common, the public register that for 30 days for comments. And just before the 30 days were up, Paramount Pitches contacted me and said, we object to you using the word Starfleet because... Uh, uh, to register it because you know we have used it for a long time and we have a game about to come out called Starfleet Academy, and and oh, oh, and God. <laughs> and I, I said uh, okay, well that that's fine. I, I don't care that it's not registered. You know, so I said okay, we're we're not going to to fight you on this one. So so I that cleared the way for them to be able to to name Starfleet Academy. I don't know. To me, it sounds a lot like the guy that tried to <clears throat> copyright podcasts. Wait, but, what? Uh, what? A huh? number of years ago, somebody who tried to copyright podcasting and try and get everybody who has ah, a podcast. Ah, you, ah, you didn't know about this, huh? No, yeah. no I'd never heard of that. Yeah. Oh, what because, a- because of things like this, before I let the beta copy of my book out the door, I copyrighted it because I'm always afraid of the same thing that just happened to you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm also like, um, I just periodically, well, I have to go through, uh, since I'm a, a, I have a contract with NASA every year, I have to go through their um, series or, uh, of slides and, and about, you know, um, uh, copyright and, and protecting data and, uh, you know, the ITAR, international trade and arms regulation, et cetera, like that. All the rules and regulations, and we have to. I have to listen or watch some videos, and then answer quizzes. and And to keep my contract, I have to do that. Go through those uh, every year. And and not too long ago, in my senior design class for engineering, we had a, a guy from um, the university come and talk about uh, patents and what you have to do to get a patent and everything like that. And uh, it is so involved and expensive that, you know, it, uh, it it's just not, as far as I'm concerned, it's not worthwhile. I mean, we were thinking about patenting some of our NASA work that we're doing right now, but I, I don't think it's, it's worth it. Or Well, since... Since Brian said it's okay, one last NASA fangirl question. <laughs> are, are you associated with the Europa Clipper at all? The with the what? Europa Clipper spacecraft that launches next year. No. Okay. I Right now, uh, I am I feel not like work- if he was, he wouldn't be allowed to tell you. <laughs> I, well, I'm not working any NASA missions at all, except for the the ones that uh, the Hawaii Space Flight Lab are working on. Uh, now, with uh, the company Interstellar Technologies, the university is our partner in that contract. And if we get a follow-on contract, which would uh, to do a demonstration mission of uh, putting five satellites up in orbit to spot uh, to uh, look for wildfires and things like that, uh, then then also the Hawaii Space Flight Lab would probably be involved with uh, building those satellites. But 
but other uh, I know a lot of people working on other NASA NOAA DOD satellites and projects but I'm not doing them personally thanks for indulging me (laughs) oh sure it's it's uh, you know i sometimes i I look at my own bio and i think boy that actually looks pretty impressive but you know i i in some ways i don't really feel like i've accomplished that much or have have done that much the 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 peak of my career was the clementine mission you know that i got the medal for i mean that was definitely the high point of my my career but i just um uh, that, that doesn't matter, but my my wife thinks I'm I'm always underselling myself. But but then again, she's my wife. That's why I married her. She's right. You <laughs> do undersell yourself. Well, um, okay. Let's get back to the game. <laughs> so when it comes to the game, I I might know the answer. I have one question in terms of all the issues you had to chew through between starting the development of 2.0 and finishing it. Was there one that what was the one that was like the most persistently awful to deal with? I think I know the answer too, but I'd like to hear Travis. Go ahead, Brian. I, I, no, I, I want to hear what what you think, Brian. My my answer, my guess at the answer would be the stutter bug. That was a persistent issue for God a couple yeah, of years. Yes. <laughs> yes, and and it had such a but. Once I found the cause of it, oh my god! Uh, which then it's never appeared again, right? And uh, but would, would would that be the would that be your answer to the stutter bug? That that was really annoying uh, initially, but no, the the one persistent bug that has plagued me from the beginning is uh, running out of memory. <laughs> and yeah and you know like when the when version 1.5 came out you had the main program and you had two overlays uh which were the planetary invasion and the boarding and they both when they were loaded in they replaced the main program and you know you transferred data via data files between the two and and basically a save game, and then then you would update the data, and then then uh, load in the main game again, and then read in the updated data, and and so that was it. Because back in those days, you had to use uh, floppy disks or diskettes, and so you had to swap in order. The you know, the main game itself took one diskette, so you'd have to take that out and put in another floppy diskette to do either the invasion or the boarding. Oh, man. Okay, so, <laughs> so now uh, I wanted to add all these new features in, and I soon found out I was running out of memory, so I had to do overlays, and, and the overlays I'm doing are mostly ones where the main program sits in memory, but you have of some some free area up above that you can load in the, a particular overlay to do some functions, and then, then, uh, then you then you transfer control to that, and uh, it, it cannot read the data from the main program. So you have to write all the data that you need 
in this overlay out to a disk file and then the overlay loads it in to use it. It updates it, then sends it to a disk file, which the main program then reads in and continues running. And so I had a number of these overlays that I had to put that could fit in on top of the main program. And I now have, I think, at least 20 or 25 overlays that I had to write in order to fit the whole game into memory. And so (laughs) that's one of the things you don't realize, that the whole time you're playing, the, the program is writing data to disk, loading in new code, uh, doing data transfers and then loading in a new overlay and all of that is going on. And that's sometimes why you will see a little bit of, of jerkiness in it because, um, yeah. and, and it's more noticeable on my 486. In DOSBox at the 3300 hertz, it's not very noticeable. Like when you have the, the hyperspace streaks, it's pretty smooth in DOSBox. It's pretty jerky on my 486. And and that's not because the 486 processor. It's because the I.O. to the disks is slower. Right. That makes sense. Uh, the, only, so, the, the only way and, you can... And, and all, sorry. Go ahead. No, and I was going to say, and related to that, another thing that has been really annoying is memory clobbers where, and I noticed there's one in version 2.0 that if you uh, when you sign on as an altern and you get the, the, the welcome message to the academy and that where you enter in your name and that, it, it mentions Emperor Hen- Henry, but the Zay the Fourth is clobbered in memory and it doesn't appear on the screen. And I've oh. I've had to do I mean I'll I'll have to look at, at that, but I've had to do really weird stuff like print a blank somewhere on the screen. Like, you know, there's it's really <laughs> annoying when you have a have a problem and you so you I put in a, a print statement to print some parameters to look at related to the problem. As soon as I put that print statement in, the problem's gone. I take the the uh, the debug print statement out, and the problem's back in there again. And you know things like that have just been really frustrating. Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing that you're still having to work with these limitations thirty years later, even with DOSBox oh, and everything. Um, I'm lo- so looking forward to deluxe. I know. If you're not, if, if you don't know what that means, folks, a Windows version of this game is uh, in the in our heads. Uh, it's planned. <laughs> it's planned. Uh, it's it's probably years down the line, uh, but because people are like, "Can we have mouse support?" And we're like, "No, not in this one." But the next one, yes, <laughs> but not in this one, <laughs> which hopefully will take less than thirty years. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, if if I can get Interstell working on it, and and we're actually thinking of uh, doing a, a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe or something to try and gather, uh, collect some funds to be able to pay uh, the Interstell programmers to to work on the deluxe version, and and if we can uh, get get sufficient funding, then I and and I can get you know, uh, half a dozen programmers working on it, then I think we should be able to get it in, in about uh, two years. Yeah. We don't want just you working on it again, Trevor. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not. I, 
I'm just going to be the sort of designer and project manager. I'm not planning on doing any of the programming. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so you bring up your 486, and this is something I don't really remember, so I'm going to ask about it. So you developed, you worked on uh, the original until about 1991, if I recall correctly. That's when 1.5B came out, and that was the Correct. last. That's, that was the last public. That's when version. my. Good. That's when my family started. My my oldest daughter was born in 91, so that's mm. <laughs> that was the end of my free time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, but. You, uh, in 2018, you got your 486 running again. Is that what spurned you to start working on this again? You got your old computer working, or did you get the old computer working to start working on this? Like, how did? No, what? Good. When I was in Kansas in about 2005, I I had um, stayed in touch with people that were you know playing their uh, playing version. 1.5b and we had just done the starfleet deluxe uh for the pc and there there were a couple bugs that were mentioned you know for in 1.5 and i thought well, i'd really like to to fix those and uh so i got my old uh 486 and i had a 386 computer as well and i got the 486 out and I I started working on on debugging, and one of the first things I did was re, re, uh, remove the look up the manual security code on it. But then the computer died, and it wasn't till 2018 that one of my colleagues I found out he uh, his hobby was working old computers and PC computers, and I said, "Hey, listen, I have this one that I really would like to get working again." Because I'd love to to uh, finish doing the the debugging or come out with a, a new version of Starfleet Two, and so he he got it up and running again, and um, and once I started on it, uh, I'd had the first podcast, and that was 2016 uh, with Brian, and then. 2018 i started and i and as i was working it i thought well you know there was a couple things i think could be improved and so i just started dabbling and and that led to where we are today yeah folks if you're not aware uh the game is still being programmed on an original 486 uh which is kind of amazing now if i recall correctly you have to take it from a floppy on the 486 to a to a laptop and and then you take what you did on the laptop to your primary PC. Is that am I remembering that correctly? There's a whole process. Well, what, what I was originally doing was um, I have a uh, Pentium computer that's running uh, Windows XP. I think it is. Uh, it's a gateway. And it has a three and a half inch drive on it. So my 486 only has a three and a half inch and a five and a quarter inch. So what I had to do was I uh, copied it on the three and a half inch, transferred it to the gateway, and then the gateway had a USB port. So I would then copy it onto a USB memory stick, which I then could put into my laptop. And the, the laptop is what I use. I don't use my desktop computer. I just use the laptop. And then, uh, then I, I can run it on DOSBox or transfer it up to, to go onto Steam. 
so I had to it involved three computers and then the the gateway um I was having problems with the three and a half inch drives and I only had one three good three and a half inch drive which I had on my uh, 486 and I couldn't use the gateway anymore and that's when I I found that they have uh USB three and a half inch drive so i got one of those to plug into my laptop so i could go directly from the 486 to the laptop using the three and a half inch disc but i've i've bought three or four of those <laughs> usb drives because they they keep crapping out on me oh no and, uh, well yeah i mean they, they they i get all sorts of errors and they ruin the discs and stuff so uh, i buy another one it works for a while and then it does the same thing so i buy another one and and that's and fortunately during the starfleet 2 transfer uh once uh i told you once i got the checksum working apparently it, the checksum scared this uh, external drive because after that it worked perfectly <laughs> <laughs> we take those yeah, yeah that's that's a win we will take that win uh yeah <laughs> it was this, just I'll at the honest. right time <laughs> i okay if i'm allowed to tell a story speaking of we take those uh yep. of the of the sort of bug i was regrettably put in charge of for starfleet 2 uh when i was given the initial uh, release for testing or like the initial testing version uh we ran into a problem in that apparently poland has a different ascii set than the entire rest of the planet oh no <laughs> which yeah pro- which which uh, trevor worked to uh, form the workaround around i provided him with the with the right ascii set and uh and and there was an eu mode which i used to play uh, to play uh, as normal then there was the, uh, we got the Steam release, we got the first beta Steam release, and for some reason the problem fixed itself? For some reason, the <laughs> moment with the Steam release, suddenly, despite me still playing on very much the same PC with all the same configuration, I, the game was running with, the Amer- with American ASCII. But I asked, I asked the Trevor he did something about it, he said he didn't. So just like, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah, it hasn't broken so far. I still remember like reporting like roughly every update going, by the way, Trevor, the thing didn't break. So whatever you did, didn't mess with it. Well, I I tell you, I I, it took a, a lot of work on my part to put that Eastern European ASCII set in in there. And and when you told me that all, all of a sudden on Steam it was gone, I went ahead and commented all that that code out and removed it from the settings. But the code is still in there, just in case something happened, I could reactivate it. Just in and, case it breaks. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> but but now that it's released, I'm getting uh, uh, from a couple Germans have contacted me, and the, there's apparently a different uh, keyboard for Germans, and the the Y and Z are swapped on the keyboard, and that's caused some problems, and so. I've been uh, looking at, and and they don't know if there's a uh, setting that um, uh, whether there's a setting in in maybe DOSBox or something that will uh, account for that. And so, 
if there's not, if they can't get it resolved themselves, then it's a fairly easy thing for me to do is to have them be able to select German keyboard and have the Y and Z swapped in, inside the game. Yeah. I and can confirm that, uh, but it's not much of a problem for, for older gamers like me because uh, I, I, if the Y uh, key doesn't work, I use the uh, set key simply. I know it. Fair enough. Now, God help you if you're French. And I know it's a bad time to mention it, but then there's the French keyboard setup. Well, uh, Azerty, which starts with which with A Z and then E R T Y, which is an entirely different setup. Apparently used in France and Be- in Belgium and nowhere else because they're insane. We haven't heard anything about okay. French, French or Belgian people playing the game, so I don't know. Um, uh, fair yeah, enough. you have not made my day, and and uh, well, I'm willing stress, to don't stress about it. We haven't. No one's said anything. it's been two days. No one said anything about it, so maybe we don't need to do anything about it. I don't know. I, well, I, I, I I speak some German, so I'm 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 more sympathetic to to doing that <laughs> one. So. I don't blame you for not being sympathetic towards the French. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let my wife hear. Get that zinger in. Don't to. don't let my wife hear you say that. Don't hear my. Wife. <laughs> um, I have to say, Trevor. I don't know if you noticed this, but I I want to thank everyone who's listening. To everything the launch has been, thankfully, knock on IKEA wood, pretty smooth. I'm very happy about. I mean, there haven't really been any big bugs. The only thing people are reporting are like a couple of typos in the manual, and we were working on that manual. To like the morning of launch. So I'm not surprised there are a few things in the manuals that uh, still need to be fixed. But I, I will, will, if I, I if I may comment on, on what you just said. Yeah. Um, I've been monitoring the, the Discord and bug reports and that. And, you know, like uh, uh, Hector and a couple others have found a, a couple legitimate bugs that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take care of. They aren't major, but they're just. Uh, more cosmetic sort of things. Uh, most of the bugs reported are because people don't understand how to play it. They, they've tried to play it without looking at the training <laughs> manual or anything. Uh, so they're not, it is not really not bugs. A bug, it's a feature. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of my wife's favorite terms. So. But um, another thing is that uh, I we put a lot of effort into the manual, and I have a, a couple interns working for Interstell, Emma and Marina, who are um, working on uh, revising or, or correcting the manual. I mean, there are some things that we didn't have time to do like an index and list of figures and, and tables and a few minor things. I, I accidentally left out two figures, screenshots that I've put back in. But once the uh, the ops manual is stable, I really, really want to get a hard copy of it printed, a yes, perfect please. bound hard copy. Yes, please. And, <laughs> and I will plan on making it i mean oh uh, and it will be in color uh won't be black Ooh. and white like the original and i want to make it available for people to to buy but i don't care whether uh whether anyone buys or not i definitely want want one for myself probably use like <laughs> Vista, would probably Vista have print, print or on demand which i have some experience with yeah, yeah it probably <laughs> would would be that 
but, but I, I'm probably get Vistaprint to to print the uh, print at least one for myself. But I think Vistaprint also does print on demand. I think so. I'm not 100. percent I've had a, a book printed by Vistaprint before. It was a hardcover book, and it was gorgeous. It was really good. It oh. was just a one-off. Uh, like a coffee table book with some of my photography in it. But, oh, uh, it, it was really good. That's nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I've also uh, am, am a semi-professional photographer. I run a have run a business. God damn it, on Trevor! Side. God damn it! How do you? <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> Can you maybe chill? Make slow, yourself feel inadequate. Slow down, man. How how the hell else are we gonna feel good about anything if you do all the things? Come on. <laughs> Hold your respect, Trevor. We're like, we're six nerds currently sitting in a Discord chat discussing space games once per week. (laughs) Could you stop being so good at everything, damn it? Well, well, I'm positive in that comparison in the slightest. I'm actually envious of you guys because I really don't get time to play a lot of these games that you play. And uh, got it. It's a trade off. Well, I, I would suggest you take once we get 2.0 finished and, and bug free and all the manuals done and everything, just take a little break and play something for yourself for a little while. My God. Well, <laughs> actually, I'm going to go to my comfort games to play. And they, they are Empire, the, the Interstellar Empire. I actually like that better than Empire Deluxe. The other one is that I really enjoy playing is Caesar Three. Yes, and oh, and that wow. that is I, I've com- I completed it once, and I usually get stuck in the North Africa desert one because uh, that's a really difficult uh, scenario. That's where that. I always stop. I mean, that's too. historically accurate. That's where I always stop. But, yeah. But I did a few years ago. I did complete it all the way through. Ooh. I don't like Caesar Four that much. It's the, they've complicated the gameplay and nah, it's not Caesar, as enjoyable. Caesar 4 is probably their weakest, one of their weaker ones. I think Caesar 3, Zeus, Emperor, and Pharaoh are probably their peak games, honestly. And, yeah. and uh, Caesar 3 is... Caesar 3 started that whole trend of peak impressions. If you don't know what we're talking about, folks, impressions made a bunch of city builders. Uh, and their best one, and they made a bunch, but their best ones, I think, are Caesar three, Zeus, um, Emperor, and Pharaoh. Uh, they just uh, Pharaoh recently got a re-release. I, I was just about to say that Pharaoh just got apparently a re-release that's apparently very good. I haven't had time to play it myself, but apparently it's I very have good. Had time to play it, it's it's good. Insofar as they haven't messed much with it, they just oh, made good. it run on modern systems and gave it 1080p. Why can't they always do that? I mean. I just think of the Startopia remake where it's like, wow, how did you make the, how do you make this remake worse than the original? How'd you do that? Anyway, uh, back, back to, uh, Starfleet two. So folks, if you're not aware, Starfleet two does come with, uh, two manuals, uh, which are over 400 pages in length total. And you want to read those. You really want to read those. Um, I suggest playing the game in windowed mode, the game has three windowed mode options at launch, um, and uh, I suggest playing the game in windowed mode uh, with one of the manual PDFs open because there's a lot to this game. It's it's basically a Swiss watch. Uh, there's a lot to this game with a lot of moving parts, um, but it is truly an astounding thing. It it really is. 
So Trevor, I just want to, I just want to say one little thing, little thing I'm glad of that you never made the game fully 3d, uh, because <laughs> no one really wants that. People say they want 3d, but no one really wants 3d. I'm just going to say that out loud. No one really wants that. And <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what they're asking for. They don't. I mean, uh, they I, really don't. I want 3D for some games, but yeah, maybe a couple. But a, maybe a couple. But a lot of them just don't work when you add a third dimension. So I, I think keeping this solely 2D makes it more like a naval style game, which clearly is an inspiration. But also, I think yeah, makes it more accessible. One thing I did kind of find it interesting is is the game kind of ended up playing out like a uh, like a naval game but also like a modern naval game using you know modern ships with missiles and such which really surprised me because there are very few actual naval games that do that <laughs> well i, I, I remember this thing yeah, i played it yesterday i was doing the final mission of uh centurion the one where you had to uh lo- locate and acquire a light cruiser <laughs> which I decide for some reason I've decided to do the hard way, which is to say try to poke a star base and uh, <laughs> ship away at all the defenders until one of them decides to give up. <laughs> that is the that, hard it way. Worked, that, you know, it, that, it worked that is, around the third try. That that is actually on purpose in the design of the game. That there is usually more than one way, especially get higher levels. There's more than one way to accomplish your mission. And sometimes the most obvious way isn't the easiest way. Uh, I'm trying to get people to be creative and think. You know, like like the light cruiser uh, is a very, especially capturing one, is a very difficult one because light cruisers have a, a special role in the, the game that's different than destroyers or heavy cruisers. And uh, they tend to guard star bases, and, which makes them very difficult to, to capture. Uh, but, but they also, you know, respond to distress calls. So the the thing to do is to get a freighter, a starliner, disable its engines with a hit and run by your shock troops, and so that it continues continually sends out a distress call. And I did add a feature in the game early this year where you have a. Uh, enemy distress call indicator so you can see that it really is sending a distress call and if you wait there then chances are that light cruisers and or destroyers will come to its rescue and and only three of them will come and so that makes it a lot easier to to get one rather than go to a starbase but you have to there are lots of tools and you have to be creative and and think of these other solutions yeah, that's that's one of the beauties of this game is it gives you the tools, especially with Fleet Command, uh, to accomplish all these missions. Because, um, yeah, friends, if you're not aware, uh, when you start the game, you start very simply. It's you, just you and your ship, just one ship, um, and you have to do some simple missions. And eventually you'll have command of the entire fleet, which is whoo. And... Uh, <laughs> But Trip, one of the big features of 2.0 is this thing. It's in the video here that we're streaming behind us called uh, Fleet Command, which gives you streamlined command of uh, all friendly ships in the sector, in the region. And my God, uh, that alone is worth the price of 2.0, I think. this is. I think Fleet Command is probably the biggest upgrade uh, to 2.0, honestly. Yeah, you know, the... the- 
if you don't mind me interrupting, Fleet nope. Command is, you know, the, you had to do it before you had the Space Forces Command, which would list all the ships, and you could go in and command them. But they were just listed in their ship ID order. And and the lowest numbers go to battle cruisers and then uh, su- dis- supply ships, uh, tra- troop transports, and destroyers. And and you had to go from page to page to page to get through them all. And you had to you could call up orders to see what they're doing, but you had no connection as to which ships were es- escorting. I mean, no intuitive way of knowing what they're really doing or where they are, or anything. And I thought that was one of the the clumsiest aspects of the original Starfleet 2. And so I started to think about how could I come up with an interface that made it very intuitive and easy to have uh, understanding of what your fleet's doing and to be able to control them or command them. And, And I actually, fleet command turned out better than I, I hoped. I mean, it, it was very difficult to program, but uh, but I think it was worth the time and effort that went into it because I think it's really good. But the, the thing is that one of the um, shortcomings of version 2, and this is solely because of the memory limitations in uh, in DOS, that I intend to do in Starfleet Deluxe is to be able to uh, design fleets. So you can can have a formation. You can either have some custom formations, Ooh. sort of like with the escort formations, but you can have uh, like a wedge formation for your fleet. Or you know, if, I don't know if you've read the Lost Fleet series by oh, uh, yes. Jack Campbell. Oh, absolutely! Well, and, One of my favorite. Well, that's, that's yeah, I love those books, and oh, that's yeah. one of the the things I want to be able to do. And he he um, organized Blackjack organizes the mm. the fleet with the destroyers squadrons and the cruiser oh, squadrons yes. and things like yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 to maximize the effect in an upcoming battle. And I I I want to be able to do that in oh. the higher levels of deluxe <laughs> where where I mean we're we're not gonna be limited. Right now I'm limited to fifty crawling ships at a time, thirty UGA ships at a time. I'm so I'm Sorry, I'm revealing a secret. That's still a lot. Yeah, that's but a yeah, lot. <laughs> yeah, but but I I want to that to be possible. See, each ship has its own AI, and and so you can just give general orders, and it will go off and and do its own mission. You don't have to micromanage or anything like that. And so I want to be able to have it so that there are dozens of ships in action or even if not even hundreds of ships in action at a time throughout the region and and you can gather together fleets in either a custom design formation or some pre-canned formations to go into battle to attack a, a star base and i'll also have the enemy being able to have fleets uh to to come against you oh that's so, brave uh, so geez. that that's one of my goals. I'm also going to in, in, uh, introduce space carriers with fighter squadrons. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have monitors, which are fairly slow, but they go into orbit and are, are designed for bombarding planets. And um, oh, uh, this all so, sounds and, and they, amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have 
a Starfleet 2 uh, is a step towards my ideal space game. And uh, Starfleet 2 Deluxe is where I want to actually achieve it. Oh, my God. I'm, uh, I, I mean, so if again, it, it, hopefully it will take less than 30 years this time. Yeah, well, if people are generous with the Kickstarter program and, and I'm, we bought a 3D printer and installed technologies and we're, we have printed out uh, 3D models of the Battle Cruiser and the uh, Alliance Heavy Cruiser. Wait, you and, have? Yeah. 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 And, and, and we're going to, I'm probably going to hire some high school students to paint them. And if, if on the, I'm going to make them available to Kickstarter contributors that have, uh, uh, that make a large enough contribution to it. Uh, I'm also going to have uh, autograph copies of the uh, the ops manual, uh, the <laughs> hardcover ops or the uh, hard copy ops manual oh, available. I'll, I'll make for for Kickstarter. We're also going to get some uh, Krellen cover, the the Dave Dorman art of stabbing the planet. We're going to have posters uh, made up of that, uh, t-shirts and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's. Yeah, I that, that's I what we're wait. planning on on offering for the the Kickstarter. But as as long as you can keep everything as manageable as you keep with this game, that'll be great. Uh, and I'm sure you're already. Don't star citizen yourself into a perfect yes. game. We've seen what happens. Yes, please, please keep it, keep yeah, it, I... keep it manageable. But I'm sure you will. I mean, what you've been able to do with this is nothing short of astounding because I just want to say if an idiot like me can learn this and get good at it, anyone can. <laughs> oh, by the way, I don't know if you have noticed in uh, the, the credits for the, the game uh, in the inline credits, I have you listed Brian right after the developers of the program as the facilitator. <laughs> and, and 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 actually, I th I think uh, it's going to be called the, called the project facilitator because this would <laughs> never have got come out on Steam without you. So oh, I, I, I'm I so I think, happy. Uh, to, I'm so happy to I have think played that's a part. A good title for you. Ah, uh, thank you. I f I feel like it's been such a journey for both of us, really. Uh, but especially me because I've never brought a game. Uh, to life hey. before like this and it's just well, been exhausting and amazing and such a learning experience <laughs> you know I, I i learned some new colorful language from you when things went wrong <laughs> with the game on the stream well though <laughs> oh, there was one time i got really really angry i don't i don't exactly remember why i got super angry but i was like yelling at the camera yeah. I, I don't remember exactly why, but but my God, I I I, I it was, vaguely recall it myself, but I don't remember the specifics. I yeah. don't remember the specifics either. I just remember like something felt really unfair. And the thing about this game is, it rarely feels unfair. It very rarely feels unfair. Like most of the time, when something happens, you feel like, oh yeah, I could have done that better, you know? Because because uh, it's a very well designed game, as we have said. But there was one time where something felt really unfair, and it really shocked me to my core. And I was like, "Son of a beep and beep!" And I was very angry. <laughs> I don't remember exactly why, but I was very angry. Um, but this is turning. Yeah, into I, I, <laughs> wasn't it the Star Forts? 
I, I, maybe wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was a Star Forts uh, that uh, you you had to take them out, and you just could not do it. A starbase. You mean you mean the enemy starbase? Yeah, that was very yeah. that was yeah. very difficult because. So, friends, there's one uh, slight spoiler. There's a mission in the game where you have to capture an enemy starbase, and it is brutally challenging. You basically can't do it by yourself. You basically have to enlist the help of a bunch of other ships. You have to take that. You have to take their marines and beam them onto the starbase, but also. Keep a bunch of Marines on your own ship so when they try to board you, you have enough defenses that you don't get captured. It's it's I, a it's a it's a hell of a cat and mouse game uh that you only have to do once. There's only one mission in the game where you have to do it. You don't have to do it again. You can if you want to. You can do it whenever you want to. You only have to do it once. And it 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 was very, very, very challenging. I, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that might have been it, but I remember the first time you did it, and no one had ever done it before. Uh, it, that code had never been tested. Uh, and what? 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 <laughs> what? And and uh, well, not since uh, since I made changes to it. And so I, when you boarded it with your shock troops, and uh, it, it turns out that the enemy had an unlimited supply of space marines. Oh. Oh God, that's and right. They, 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 you know, they, they start. They started with five hundred, but everyone was replaced. I mean, they, you ended up facing over a thousand or something <laughs> space marine, oh, and, and yeah. so it was impossible, impossible to win. And so I had to yeah, go and that, fix that, that. That'll do it. This game we takes have reserves. infinite anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, no. Um, yeah, you you can't just do it with your own sh- reserve of shock troops. You need to pull from your escorts. You need to pull from other friends. It's a hell of a battle. Um, and then they, they have a secret weapon that you only encounter when you come in close to them, which I, I won't reveal. But I don't. I, I'm going to be honest. I don't remember what that is because <laughs> I I don't know what that is because I've never done that. I've I've Mike. Well, if when you come in adjacent to a star, uh, a disabled starbase, ready to oh, send your trucks in, I, I remember. Be I, re- for I remember. Something. I remember now. I'm not going to say what it is either. It's terrifying. I remember what it is now. It's terrifying. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's only when you pull up next to. It's going to be rare you pull up next to an enemy starbase, y'all. So you'll only see this very rarely. But once you do, oh, oh, hold on, hold on tight. I remember now what it is. Oh, oh, oh. I'm curious to open the game and try it, and inevitably <laughs> lose a battle cruiser. It, well, I mean, if you want to open well, a pra- it in practice mode, yeah, yeah, do it in practice mode. Um, oh, the, there's a practice mode now. I didn't know that. Oh, there's always been a practice mode. So um, the thing is, once it, you it finish your mission, demo. It was called demo. Now it's called practice mode. So once you finish a mission, you can replay that mission as much as you want. And you'll get a random map every time. Uh, so if you just want to futz around and explore some planets, you can do that. You know? So, uh, and you don't know, you can just completely ignore the, pr- ga- the mission uh, objective if you want and just futz around. I do that all the time yeah. for testing and for my own enjoyment. It's great. Um so yeah, yeah it, it it doesn't affect your career or total values. Any krells or anything you earn are not yeah. kept. You know. Yeah. So any mission you have finished, you can replay in practice mode to your heart's content. 
And so that's a great what? way to like, oh, I want to try and see what happens when I try to capture a starbase. Uh, and failing, like nothing happens. So it's a great way to test things. It's a great way to try out new tactics. Uh, it's it's a brilliant little thing that I've probably played more practice mode than anything else because it's a great way to, oh, I need to test something. I want to load up a practice mission and try and test this thing. Um, that, that, you know, I, I do have a, a bit of a devious streak, though, too, is that I did not reveal the presence of orbital fortresses, and, and I let you go into a colony for the first time oh, to that discover was them. so evil, dude. That was so and, and, evil. And, and actually, <laughs> colonies want to stay hidden, and so the orbital forts will not shoot. They can shoot outside of orbit. To add, uh, and they have long-range phases and torpedoes. They can hit someone coming in, but they do not shoot until someone comes into orbit and discovers them. <laughs> and from, I didn't know and that. From, <laughs> yeah, and and from that point on, then anything approaching the planet is fair game. But up to that <laughs> point, until they're discovered, they stay silent. That's so evil. You could. <laughs> <laughs> you could cruise right past the colony, and uh, apart from running into mines, uh, you you would not know that there are orbital uh, <sighs> fortresses there. Now, it could be a regular UGA Tech Level 7 planet, because they have mines as well, but they don't have the orbital forts. Yeah, so... Uh, tip, my friends, if you're playing, if you reach sub-admiral or if you reach the admiral mode, let your probes go in first. I know, like, up until that point, you might be like, oh, I'm going to go check out this planet myself. No. <laughs> let the probes do it first. Actually, the XO in the game now warns you, if you target a planet that could be a colony, uh, oh, the right. XO warns you. Right, that, I forgot that, about uh, that. You, know, <laughs> you, you might want to send a probe or a, a, a destroyer there to check it out first, because that could be a colony. <laughs> I forgot about that. I think I've only read it. If it is, it might end up vaporized. Yeah, well, they you know, probably will. Well, destroyers can destroyers, might be able to get away, but probes, yeah, they'll they'll be cooked. <laughs> well, destroyers are think. expendable anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> They, they don't call me the escort killer for nothing. Uh, <laughs> oh God, the number of destroyers I, ch I chewed through attempting the light cruiser capture. Yep, yep, yep. That's what they're for. <laughs> That's what they're for. Die I'm pretty sure I replaced all my entire escort suite. Four times over? Yeah, sounds right. I mean, that's that's what they're that's what they're for. Dying gloriously to protect you. That's what they're for. And if if they go out in battle, hey, they uh, that's that's what they wanted. So it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Understood. Works for me. <laughs> uh, we should probably start wrapping up. We've been going almost an hour and a half. So we should probably yep. start wrapping up. It's getting it's getting late for our European friends. Um, and and I have to get to work. I have a meeting in just over an hour from now to work ooh, on the ooh. satellite operations. Well, Trevor, it has been a hell of a journey getting this to Steam and GOG, but I want to thank you for coming back on the show to talk about it. Uh, friends, the game, Starfleet 2, Krellen Commander 2.0. It's a mouthful, I'll tell you what. But it's for $10, you're getting hundreds, if not, I, I've got well over a thousand hours in the damn thing and uh, probably more because of the random maps and everything and the practice mode. You can play this like indefinitely. It's an amazing game. Yeah, the game does have great replayability that it doesn't need because of how much progression it has. 
Yeah, it's and and the progression feels great because you're progressing your skills and your and your capabilities along with the game giving you more tools to do things. I mean, we've barely talked about planetary invasion, but the game has a ground strategy game as well when you invade planets. Uh that's that was spawned off into its own game called Star Legions. Um it's an amazing game for $10. It's one of the, be- I think it's one of the best values. I mean, I'm a little biased, but I think it's one of the best values in gaming. Cause my God, you get so much gameplay. You're talking hundreds of hours for $10. That's amazing. Um, it does take, uh, it does have a learning curve, but it's got tutorials and manuals to help you. Uh, and we have a discord at discord.starfleet, the number com. If you want to come on and ask questions, we're, uh, we're friendly. We don't bite. Uh, and we're, we want to help you uh, get better at the game. So please feel free to come to the uh, the Discord and ask questions if you have them. There are a lot of people there who've got lots of hours in the game. That'll help you out. And uh, it's a really just astounding thing that I cannot recommend enough. Um, so that's going to do it for today. We don't have a podcast next week because, sorry, we've been a little inconsistent. Uh, in the podcast schedule, it's been, you know, real life and whatnot, but we don't have a show next week because of the Thanksgiving holiday here in the States. We'll be back in two weeks with a topic show. Trevor, again, thank you so much for coming back on to talk about the, the game. It's been, well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a, a real pleasure and I'll be happy to come on again, maybe in the sometime in the future. Yeah. Well, well when, when deluxe starts being a thing, we got to have you back on to talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's no question we'll have you on again. Uh, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you in the chat for um, for being so great. And we will see you uh, back here tomorrow, I think, for more Colony Ship, because that game is great. And we're just going to play more of it tomorrow. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, it's... I check it out. I, I played two hours today and didn't have one combat encounter. I was able to talk my way out of everything. Love that. Love, love, love that. I was able to just charm my way out of every every fight so far. Love that. So uh, we're going to play more of that tomorrow. So have a great day, everyone. Uh, be safe, be well, take care of each other. Please get your vaccines, get your shots, get all the shots, because we're still in a pandemic and people are still getting the flu. So please get all your shots. And uh, thank you, as always, to our patrons who literally keep the lights on around here. And with that, we'll see you back here tomorrow, friends. Have a great one. Bye-bye.